Welcome to the What If Podcast, where we rewrite sports past, present, and future. We're your hosts, Eddie, Jeet, Cameron, and Michael. Four lifelong friends, each with a unique perspective on sports. And find out what if the globalization of sports continues into the future. everyone welcome to the podcast we have ourselves another week of awesome content for you i'm here with eddie g and cameron per usual so we have a great conversation today kind of talking about the international influence on sports all across the globe and kind of what the future has in store it's a very general broad topic but we really did focus on the nba and that ties into some awesome recent news we've had with the nba trade deadline I'll toss it to you guys. What were the trades that you kind of thought were the most fascinating, most interesting, maybe have the most importance to the playoffs and everything moving forward? I'll start. And mine is actually a trade that didn't happen. Mine is Damian Lillard staying in Portland. That made me kind of sad because I think I love watching Damian Lillard in the playoffs, waving goodbye to folks. But I feel like we're not going to see that that much because he's staying in Portland, and I don't know if they're going to be that good anymore. But I do admire that he is willing to stay there, not trying to just move out like a lot of other stars are. But I do hope that we get to see more of him on a good team, whether that's in Portland or somewhere else. Yeah, you don't, you don't see that too often these days, do you, where a player doesn't force their way out of like a bad situation? But they did trade away a bunch of other people. CJ McCollum. They did get another young, good player, but CJ and Dame, like that was a staple in the league for a long time. Sad to see it break up. Hmm. I think the trade that I really was glued to was the James Harden and Ben Simmons one. I'm actually one of the few people that sympathizes with Ben Simmons. I just didn't like the fact that everybody was just making fun of his shot or just beating him down. You know, the fact that he attempted very few field goals in the fourth quarter of the Atlanta Hawks and the Sixers Eastern Conference semifinal series. I think I saw a stat where he attempted three field goals in all fourth quarters of all the seven games in that series. And he made all three. So that's 100 percent just look on the bright side of things but still I just don't like the idea of how everybody just gangs up on one person and just says oh he's terrible even like the Philadelphia media was saying we have rare footage of Ben Simmons in the public and they showed like a dumpster rolling down the street that's just terrible you know so I sympathize with him yeah sure I think the criticism is definitely fair but yeah I do sympathize with him a bit So I hope the fact that he was sitting out just to take care of his mental health, I hope he's okay in that department. I believe that he can come back and become the best version of himself. I don't know how he will gel with Durant and, you know, all the other players, you know, Kyrie and stuff like that. I don't know what the timetable of his return is, but my hope is that he does well. And I think it's a good move for him. 
you know, the fact that just change of scenery, I think that'll do him well. So I know I'm focusing on the Ben Simmons part because that's the only one I really care about. Don't really yeah. do, hard and do hard things. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, Eddie. That, I mean, that's easily the biggest trade. I don't agree with you the way people treat Ben Simmons because you're getting paid a lot of money to be a superstar. I think you have to play like a superstar and hold up the end of a bargain and get better at the things that you're not good at, which he didn't. So I would hope that he has been shooting a thousand free throws a day for the last six months. Like, I hope he shoots like 85% for the sake of him. Because if he comes out after all this time of doing nothing and shoots like 45% like he has his whole career, that would really suck. But I agree with you. I think it's a great move for him because he's not required to be a scoring presence. Seth Curry is also coming, so that gives like another shooting option for them that maybe they lost with Harden. He definitely helps them on the defense end. I, I think it's a really good spot for him to be in where he doesn't have to be required to shoot the ball and carry the load of being like a point guard, but able to be a good distributor to a bunch of really, really good offensive players. As for, yeah, the 76ers, I don't know how good they'll be with James Harden and Joel Embiid. James Harden is one of those guys that just doesn't get along with anybody. So I can't imagine he'd get along with Joel Embiid, who doesn't get along with anybody. You know, we'll see how that goes. But one of the trades that I saw that was interesting is one of my buddies is a big Cavaliers fan. They're having an awesome year this year. And so they ended up trading for Karis LeVert. And I know that he doesn't bring a ton to the table, but he can score a ton which is definitely helps them a lot. And they're in a position where they're fighting for a top seed in the East. So adding scoring to their roster while giving up a bench player and some second round picks and Ricky Rubio, he's really good, but Karis LeVert obviously makes him a little bit better probably. So that one looked kind of interesting to me. No, I agree. I really like that move as well. I like what the Cavs are doing this year. You know, just a nice young team. I'm a big Jared Allen fan, great center, underrated center. So, yeah, and I also like Karis LeVert as well. It was really unfortunate when I think one of the point guards got injured. Was it Colin Stuxton or Darius Garland? Which one was it? Sexton's out for the year and Rubio yeah. too. And Rubio as well. Yeah, that was really unfortunate. But they got Rondo. And I think you guys heard me say that I think Rondo's going to be a Hall of Famer. You guys are laughing, but I think he will be. So I think that veteran leadership on that team, I think it's very useful. For sure. I kind of want to touch on all of y'all's and I'll kind of have my prediction, not prediction, but like kind of what I thought was interesting. Do you kind of mention how like we got to see a lot of Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers say goodbye to teams in the playoffs and everything like that. I think we're going to have to say goodbye to Dame Lillard with the Portland Trailblazers seeing them in the playoffs. I hope he goes somewhere else. New York Knicks. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Yeah, Cavaliers. I'm actually just really excited for non-LeBron Cavalier teams to actually be doing really well. And kind of talking about the Ben Simmons deal, but kind of tying into a team that you may not expect. The Sacramento Kings. If I were the Sacramento Kings... I would have done as much as I could to get a guy like Ben Simmons because this guy was an all-team NBA player, 
amazing defender, rookie of the year. Like he brings a lot to the table. If I'm a team like Sacramento, which I played NBA 2K22, there's a reason why I moved the team from Sacramento to a different city. I moved it to Seattle. There was also a reason I tried to trade for Ben Simmons in the game. He brings a lot to the table. So I'm really excited to see what he does with KD. Like two guys who are 6'11", who just are freaks of nature athletically. Like it's gonna be really fun to watch. So yeah, if I was Sacramento, why didn't I do more to get Ben Simmons? And why did I trade Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, you brought up the Kings. Yeah, they traded away Halliburton. And my boy Buddy Heald gets a fresh start in Indiana. They traded for DeMontis Sabonis, which on social media, I just saw people going nuts about that. It didn't seem like that big to me, but apparently Tyrese Halliburton is an up-and-coming star. And so they shipped him off for Sabonis, who has been really good, but probably not the potential of a guy like Halliburton. So, Mm. yeah, the Kings are just head scratchers all the time. To finish up on things that I noticed, I saw an interesting thing from uh, Richard Jefferson on ESPN where he said the Thunder players were some of the biggest winners because the Thunder have been made this knack of trading for players with expiring deals so that they reach a certain point, there's a cap floor in the NBA, meaning you have to spend a certain amount of money. So they were like $23 million under the cap floor. And so they didn't end up trading for anybody to make that cap floor. So what Richard Jefferson was saying was that the Thunder players are like the biggest winners because that $23 million is now going to be spread out across all those other players for the Thunder. Young guys on a bad team are getting paid a lot more money. So there's like a funny nugget about the Thunder. Eddie, I have a question for you, though. Mm. I know you're a big Lakers guy. Thank you. And so I thought I would ask you what your thoughts were on them not being that active on the trade deadline, because that seems like a team where they should be able to be in win-now mode, but they have been really struggling. I don't know what your thoughts were on. Should the Lakers have shaken things up a little bit? Yeah, that was uh, pretty surprising that they didn't make any moves. I don't know what to make of the situation with the Lakers. Part of me thinks that Westbrook is not the problem, but Coach Vogel is the problem. Maybe he is not assembling the team in the right manner. But I don't know how they're going to play it. They're just going to see if they can qualify for a play-in tournament and just be satisfied. Yeah, it was very questionable. I thought they were going to make a move. But I guess maybe they want to give Russell Westbrook one last chance, maybe see if he can turn things around these next couple months. You know, there's that thing about Russell Westbrook, like after All-Star break, he just turns things on. We'll see what happens. You know, I still have a lot of faith in them. I'm kind of with you on the Vogel thing. I think sometimes... Like, I'm a big Russ fan because of what he means to the Thunder franchise. And so I just don't feel like they're setting him up for success. And then he's becoming kind of the scapegoat of everything. Let's be honest, he's not the best shooter, but he's great whenever he has guys that can shoot around him. And that Lakers team just doesn't have those guys. That should be interesting. That's something I'm keeping my eye on for sure. There we go. We talked a lot about all these trades that are going on, the lack of trades with Portland and LA. 
we'll see what happens in the coming months, but I'm looking forward, especially to the Eastern Conference. Playoffs are going to look fun. So if you're an NBA fan, this week's podcast will be right up your alley because yeah, we talked about the trades and we talk a lot about the international influence on the NBA and also amongst other sports too. So if you're interested, keep on listening, but otherwise, thanks so much for joining the podcast and enjoy the music starting right now. So we are diving into our topic today. The guys here, Cameron G. Eddie, they do not know what the topic is as I speak of this. And it does actually kind of tie into episode one of season two, led by G. Das, kind of talking about the international influence on sports. And we can kind of refer to domestic leagues in the United States and really the international presence of players in these sports. So my what if today is what if the globalization of sports continues into the future? It's going to have a very heavy lens on basketball, specifically the NBA and a lot of different basketball leagues going on in Africa and in Europe, and really just diving into the future trends of what is the presence of international players and U.S. domestic sports leagues. We're talking MLS and soccer, NBA and basketball, NFL, not so much, but also hockey and then baseball too. What am I talking about with the globalization of sports? So I think the best example is kind of talking about the NBA. Can you guys guess who the first African-born NBA player was? Was it? Jesus Hakeem. Was it Matumbo? Perhaps it was. Yeah, I was also thinking Dikembe Mutombo as well. I got you. One of you are correct, but I believe Hakim, Hakim, excuse me, Hakim Olajuwon, <laughs> he started his NBA career in 1984 and was the first African-born player to play in the NBA. The NBA was actually founded in 1946. So really just to kind of hit you guys with this data, it took 38 years for the first African-born player to play in the NBA. And that was 1984. Add 38 to that, what year do you get? It's a podcast and a math lesson today. (laughs) Either this year or 10 years ago. What's that, 2012? It's this year, isn't it? Oh, shoot. That is right, Cameron. It is this year. And when we think about players in the NBA today, right, compared to 1984 and obviously when it started in the 40s, there is a way bigger international influence on the NBA in today's game. So I guess another guessing game. Since 1984, how many African-born players do you guys think have been in the NBA? I'm going to guess uh, 17. 25. I'll go 30. Not going to lie, Eddie, you start with 17. Gee, I wish you would have said 38 because that's a Fetty Wap. That's a banger right there in the <laughs> mid-2000s. Uh, but there have actually been 71 total African-born players who have played in the NBA. So think about that. Hakeem Olajuwon, 1984, the first one, and then 71 players, including him, have played since he started in 1984 in the NBA. 
that's kind of like the basis of this what if. What if the globalization of sports continues and really through a basketball lens? But we're not just talking African born players in the NBA, too. We're talking about our recent MVPs, Giannis. He is an absolute stud. Who's to say he won't win multiple other ones? And then we have Nikola Jokic, who won last year. Anything about other players in today's game as well? Luka Doncic. Do you guys think he's going to win an MVP anytime soon? So really just kind of talking about the international influence of the NBA and not even just talking about their successes. And, you know, G, you kind of mentioned this with Ichiro when he came to the major leagues. Like, he was the really first big Japanese-born player to have profound success in major league baseball. And then you start thinking about MVPs since he started. Many more international-born players have been winning MVPs in baseball. Shohei Otani won this past year. So I think the fact that it's not just that international players are having more success in domestic leagues in the United States, but also I kind of have one of this conversation and it ties into a question later. What is this going to look like for the future? Because when these players are having success from Luka Doncic being from Slovenia, Ichiro coming from Japan in the major leagues, what is the likelihood of these sports growing because these international born players are coming stateside to the United States succeeding to profound levels and are just increasing in numbers in influence in the sport and total number of players in the sport. So we're not just talking about the successes of the players, but the interest in these other countries that these players are coming from is going to be growing and growing. What is that going to look like in the future if this trend of players coming to the United States from different countries continues? And also kind of think about the different sports. We've seen it in basketball, baseball, to a lesser extent, but still quite significant. But what's a sport you guys can think of that, at least American sport, that you don't really get a lot of international born players? Football. Exactly, G. That's what I'm thinking. So what does the future of football look like? Soccer, we know, is a world's game. How does that look like? And kind of just talking about the interests of these sports the success of these players from all across the world coming to the United States, playing these games, these games, these sports, and really just kind of thinking about what does the future hold? You think about media outreach and like these different sports are going to be shown in different countries, much more widely available, most likely as we go into the future. What does that mean as well with fans watching these sports in other countries? They're watching these players from their own country succeed. What does that look like for those individual sports and players from those countries too? So I open the floor to y'all. Do you guys have any initial thoughts or any answers to the questions? It's a little bit more of a broad topic instead of very specific. Hey, you're going to have to move me through all those questions again because <laughs> I don't think I remember a single one. But some initial thoughts that I have, I think the sky's the limit for, especially when you're looking at a sport like basketball, the sky's the limit for those international leagues and everything to grow and, and get better and have better talent and, you know, have a lot more resources to develop players and everything because of how much success some of these players have been having coming out of these smaller leagues. So think about like Luca in the Spanish league. Is it, I don't know. Is that the La Liga in Spain? I'm thinking of like the Thunder just drafted a kid from Australia, Giddy. And he's having a ton of success this year. 
LaMelo ball coming out of that Lithuanian league, you know, helping develop his talent. So the more that you are seeing these players coming out of these European leagues, Australian leagues, where they're developing them really well and they're having immediate impacts as young teenagers, that's huge. And I think the biggest thing that is taken away from that is a lot of these American kids that don't want to go to college, a Lamella ball, for example, sees that these leagues are competitive overseas and they can go and get paid and develop and then still come back and play in the NBA a year later. That not only helps the players developing and playing against good competition as opposed to them playing against you know other college players, which you know college basketball is really good still, obviously, but you're seeing more and more special talent coming out of these other leagues. This also helps the other leagues too because in the same way that recruiting works at certain high schools in college football and college basketball is you go to watch a certain player and you take notice of other players that are there. And that gives them more of a spotlight. You know, those other kids in the Spanish league, those other kids in the Australian league who are playing against this top talent. And, you know, maybe they're having a really good season or a really good game or something like that. They get noticed. So I think it only helps it grow with time. I think it's awesome, though. I mean, seeing those players come over here and have such an impact and have a unique style to the game. That's not like an AAU style that becomes so accustomed to seeing. It's cool to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Cameron, to your point, like, you know, a lot of these like young American kids, they're graduating high school 10 years ago, is going to a college university, play college basketball a year or two. And, you know, it's in a very general way, it's kind of unpaid labor because they're going to these schools, they get an education for a year. And I know we've had that conversation, I think season one in that episode, like, what's the point of that? You know, these are institutions, academic institutions, but you have a guy who goes to a semester of courses, plays basketball, and that's the reason why they're so big. I think Ben Simmons just stopped going to class his second semester because he was like, yeah, I'm not sticking around. So what's the point? It's like, what's the point of him even being on campus? He gets seized to get eligible for the second semester, then he's just done. Absolutely. And I don't want to dive this conversation into like NIL, but like, I don't think it's a coincidence that like you see a lot more of these players going international. And then you also see NIL coming into the same kind of timeline in which you're paying these college athletes now, or at least they have the ability to get paid without getting penalized for doing so. So that was kind of an interesting component, but there's a new African basketball league that's kind of sponsored by the NBA a couple of years ago that started in 2019. So there's a lot of international stuff going on. Yeah. Um, think about how many kids were on that. Who beat the U.S. in the exhibition? Was it Nigeria that beat them? They had like four or five guys on that team that was on an NBA roster. It's quite a few for a country like Nigeria where you would be like, there's no way there's that many people in the NBA from a smaller country in Africa, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, this is, this is uh, made me think a lot. This is a very thought provoking question. I think I really appreciate the broadness of it because you can go in so many directions. Just to go back to your question about the globalization of sports and what if it continues. 
you know, I'm just trying to think about how a lot of players around the world come to the U.S. to participate in these leagues, like the NBA. It's the best basketball league in the world. NHL, the best hockey league in the world. NFL, the best football league in the world. I thought the reason why they're coming here is because it coincides with how developed countries are in terms of which country is the powerhouse in the world. People say the U.S. is the place to be. That's the place where you need to go to build a better life, achieve the American dream. That's the U.S. But then, you know, when you think about soccer, people don't come to the U.S. to play for the best league in the world. Like it's not, U.S. does not have the best league in the world. It's Europe, the respective countries, especially England. Some would say Spain or Italy. My argument at first was like, whichever country is deemed a powerhouse, so the U.S., that coincides with the strength of their leagues in every sport. But the same argument does not apply when it comes to soccer. Even though U.S. is a world global powerhouse, soccer is not the destination. But then you have these emerging powerhouses in the world, China, Russia. One would think that they would have better leagues compared to Europe. There was a time where a lot of players were going to China. It looked like it was pretty promising. When I say players, like soccer players were going to China because they were just paying astronomical wages to players for them to come over there. But yeah, I'm trying to make the connection and I'm not, I don't know if I'm articulating it well, of powerhouses and leagues, and that whenever there's a country that's a powerhouse, then the leagues are substantial. But the exception is with soccer. It doesn't necessarily apply, especially when you think about the U.S. as a powerhouse. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, the money definitely, like the United States pours money into all sports. I think there is a player that just got offered a contract for like 13 years for $350 million. No other country has a franchise that's willing to dish out $350 million on a silver platter to somebody. Like soccer, there's very, very few people. I, I don't even know like what Ronaldo's contract would look like in millions of dollars. And that's just, that's baseball. That's like, that's probably third or fourth on the tier of sport popularity in the United States. Like we're not even talking about, you know, Mahomes with his $300 million deal and stuff like that. That to me is people come to the United States to play these sports because they are getting paid like the best people in the world. Like you're not getting paid in Spain. You're not getting paid in Australia. You're not getting paid in Russia. Like you're getting paid in the United States. Like you're, you're living like a king if you make it. But yeah, you do bring up a good point, Eddie, because soccer is so flipped. Like think about how much resources are poured into soccer. But I mean, there's no like big basketball arenas or hockey rinks or, you know, things like that in some of these other countries. And it, But it does make me think that maybe soccer is the biggest in the world because it's so easy to play. You don't need pads. You don't even need shoes. Like whatever you can put together as a goal and whatever bouncy thing that you can find that resembles a ball. 
run outside set up two cones or sticks or something as the goals and like you're playing soccer right like you don't have that for anything else so that may attribute to kind of what you're talking about eddie like the u.s they're pouring so much money into everything else and you know all these other countries it's a lot simpler of a sport i guess does that make any sense like adding to what you're saying eddie it makes sense I just want to understand why, and I think you 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 spoke to it, the fact that, you know, the U.S. is not pouring enough resources into soccer. That's why people aren't really coming here. But the U.S. has the ability to do that. Is it because there's just so many leagues that have so much money poured into them that they can't attribute that same amount of money to soccer? Because, like, you know, the likes of England, they're not pouring so much money into like five different leagues. So money is a factor as to why, you know, the U.S. doesn't have a great soccer league. But I don't want to dominate this conversation around soccer. You know, this question is very broad and it applies to a lot of things. But that was just a question I had as to why soccer is not so prominent in the U.S. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, Eddie, like, when I was coming up with this what if idea, I was kind of thinking like soccer is the one exception. But with that, I feel like domestically in the United States, and I don't have the data to back this up, but it seems like anecdotally, like you kind of see these players who are getting trained with MLS sides and then they start kind of sprouting into these top leagues in Europe. So I don't want to equate the two because the United States is, you know, has the ability to perhaps become like a top soccer destination. And you're kind of seeing more of that trend the last 20 years of international players towards the end of their careers coming in. But I think it's also on the flip side, you're starting to see these younger players get youth academy experience, get first some experience at MLS sides, and then go abroad. It's really interesting kind of see like, what does domestic soccer in the United States look like with this pipeline kind of being built out a bit further for younger players and not just the United States being a destination for older players? I had a thought in the shower the other day, not as much related to just soccer, but it was more about basketball. But I think basketball is the most restricted sport because you have to win the genetic lottery to even be considered a basketball player. Like you have to be at least 6'4" to be recruited. Whereas in soccer, you can be any height. Most other sports, you can be any height as long as you have the technique and you have the work. So I think in that regard, basketball has to make more of an effort to reach out to these places because otherwise there's just not going to be enough people in these areas like in Africa and China and Europe that would be able to realistically be recruited. But then I also think about the culture of each place. Like if you're a kid in Serbia, you probably grow up more playing soccer than you do playing any other sport. Like my dad grew up in India and he just played soccer and cricket. And so there isn't really much consideration for Indian kids going to the NBA. Like that's not something that they dream about. That's not something they care about. Whereas I think when people start seeing players like Jokic who are succeeding so much, then that makes the Serbian kids think, oh, I want to do that. And I'm kind of tall, so maybe I could do that someday. 
So I think that's why you see this exponential growth that you're talking about, Michael, where it's like there's only one African player in the first 38 years. Now there's 71. Part of that could be because once you see one person do it, you know that it's possible and that really opens the door for everyone else to do it. Whereas I think in soccer, it has so much culture already behind it across the world. Like everyone grows up playing soccer for the reasons Cameron mentioned. It doesn't need any more advertising. It's like ingrained in tradition that in a way that I don't think basketball or football are in these other countries outside of America. I think that starts at such a young age too. Like, I wonder how many youth basketball leagues there are in Australia. Like, I just wonder how much investment there is in like other countries. Like that might be the best place to start is if, you know, you bring kids in and you have them try out four or five. I mean, I played 10 sports when I was a kid, right? Like every season it was like baseball, basketball, soccer, football, running track, you know, doing everything. So you're trying all these different sports and then you narrow it down when you get older. You just wonder how much of that there is in these other countries. So like if you were wanting to spread your sport out, like that would be where you would target, right? Like that's where you would pour the money into is like all the youth programs and then like build it up into the professional ranks, maybe. Who are the people that want to be like Nikola Jokic? It's not like 25 year old guys like us, like that's out the window for us, right? So it's the 10 year old kid that is like, oh my gosh, like that's super cool. Like Nikola Jokic is Superman in the eyes of like little Serbian kids. So and I, I do think it's, it's probably on the part of the players as well to you know go back and be that spokesman, be the connecting point for those sports. It is weird, man. Like soccer just being so ingrained in every culture. Like how do you flip that? And how do you get other sports involved? I think y'all brought up a lot of good points, like more of a conservative effort because soccer is so widely spread. It's so ingrained in culture. All you need, you know, I, when I would go to Brazil and visit family, play barefoot, you get some flip-flops as goals. You play with the ball, you're good to go. Basketball is a little bit more, you need more resources. You need an actual, probably a decent court. I'm really interested to see how the NBA specifically kind of goes in the next 30 years. Cause Adam Silver has really looked at Africa and all these different countries in Africa and really developing the Africa basketball league, which started in 2019. And I think given like this trend of more international born players coming into the NBA, that it's going to just skyrocket even further. Cause I also think it's going to be a huge pipeline to the NBA and also become a league on its own where you know, I'm 35, 40 years old. I want to maybe catch a championship game in this league in Africa because these are the next stars coming up. It's just going to be really fascinating to see because I feel like some leagues and some sports are going to capitalize. So I guess a what if this trend continues prediction on my end? I think the NFL for various reasons, it doesn't have that global reach. It may have the global reach, but it doesn't have the global participation. So when you get those youth sports, Cameron, you get those development programs set up in these different countries, and you see the young guy in Cameroon, you know, watching Joel and B play, probably win MVP this year. Giannis doing his thing. Nikola Jokic, Luka, Josh Giddy. 
these names just keep on popping up. Ben Simmons is from Australia. Like these are incredible players. So I think the NBA is going to skyrocket in popularity. I think the NFL is going to plateau. Baseball to a lesser extent, maybe grows a little bit more, but not as much as the NBA and soccer. And we'll see, but it's fascinating to think about the future trends. Yeah. NBA too is hard though, because think about this. There's only 15 spots on a roster and probably like eight of those guys play. I mean, that's not a lot of spots. And you're talking about 200 plus college programs pumping out pro players with pro aspirations. There's only 60 draft picks every year between all 30 teams. So it's tough to crack a roster on those NBA teams. So I'd be interested to see if you want to do like more global expansion. If you are working on doing like little sub leagues, maybe around the world, like a NBA farm system in like different Mm. countries or something like that to like give more roster spots and more availabilities to these players or even like adding more teams to the NBA you know, giving more opportunities to players and stuff like that. But I think you're right. I think the NBA is in the best spot out of any of the four sports to grow their sport because of how much success all these international players have been having. I had that thought too, Cameron, like, you know, we see Red Bull Leipzig, we see New York Red Bulls, we see Red Bull Salzburg. You see the same thing with Manchester cities. So like you see that in soccer and I don't know, like legally, what that looks like with like baseball and basketball and NBA and MLB and these other leagues, but that'll be interesting to see if that you start seeing the like maybe NBA expansions, like kind of a farm system in different countries. And just to kind of wrap up the conversation, I wanted to throw you guys a little more data. Can you guys guess since 1984, the year Hakeem came to the NBA, how many MVPs? In the NBA, we're born outside the U.S. or U.S. Virgin Islands. That kind of gives a certain player away. Yeah, I was going to guess uh, five. Four. I'll guess seven. Seven. One of you, again, is correct. It is Cameron Harder. Cameron, you're right. Seven non-U.S. born or U.S. Virgin Island born players have won MVP in the NBA. But you kind of fast forward that to 20 years later. So we go to 2004. So the MVP since 2004, guess how many have been born outside the U.S. or the U.S. Virgin Islands? Probably like five or six. Yeah. Five or six. It's actually six. Hakeem was the only non-U.S. born or U.S. Virgin Island born player to win MVP from 1984. Up until 2002, I think, with Tim Duncan. So international players are winning these top awards. So what percentage of an increase are we going to see international-born players winning MVP in all these different leagues? But yeah, more of a future what if. I'm curious to see kind of what we talked about today, how it kind of holds up in the future. But do you guys have any final thoughts or comments or predictions? I hope the American Soccer League, with how much expansion it's doing, I hope that continues to grow because it is considered like a farm system to some of these bigger leagues, which kind of stinks because we're not used to being like, oh, this player is really fun to watch. Now he's going to a different country and we'll, we won't see him until the World Cup. 
we're not really used to that as Americans, right? Like usually it's all these players coming from all points in the world to here to America and we get to see them. So I guess a little bit selfishly, I hope the MLS continues to grow into a league that is able to retain its stars and start to build on top of that. Because, you know, as much as it's fun to see Kristen Pulisic play in the Premier League, I'd much rather see him playing against other top American talent and bringing up top European talent and maybe doing some more scouting and that type of thing to bring those players to America. My prediction is in this decade, I'd say like there will be six winners in the NBA that are from foreign-born places. Let's say like Giannis wins like four, Luca wins like three or something like that. Yeah, so there's going to be six winners that are from uh, foreign-born places. Starting this year? So far, there's what? If we're starting the decade in 2020, who won in 2020? Giannis? Giannis? Giannis. Both, right? 2020 and 2021? No, 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 no. No, Jokic. So there will be four more. I have a question for you guys. I know we've touched a lot in the NBA, but like Michael said earlier, I think they're set up for a lot of growth. But I wonder if this had anything to do with it. You know how in superhero movies, like a very common theme in them is, you know, someone rises up like a Superman or someone who has power. And there tends to be more crime as opposed to less crime because people are natural you know, as, as humans, we're competitive and we like to challenge who's at the top and take that person down, right? Like, that's a pretty common theme. Like, it seems to get a lot worse whenever there's a lot more, like, powerful people in place, right? So when you think about, like, in basketball, think about, like, the dream team in the 90s going to the Olympics and then the most recent one that we had I want to say it was like Beijing or something like that with LeBron and Kobe and D Wade and all those guys like to see on a world stage where all the Americans just roll in and just show how dominant and just clean house they are. Do you think that plays a part in all of these young international kids that saw that when they were children and they're like, I want to be as good as those people one day and like, make Slovenia the best basketball country or France or Germany or Greece or Spain or, you know, whatever it is. Like, do you think that that, because the Americans were so dominant that that played a part in international Mm -hmm. kids wanting to be more involved and like strive to be better at basketball? That is a good question, Cameron. The positive feedback loop. Um, I took a comic book course real quick in college. It was a one credit hour for honors certification. And this did come up because Batman, when he came to Gotham, all these supervillains start coming into play. It's not just the mob families. I digress into the comic realm. (laughs) So I think that's a really good point. Like, you know, these rising NBA stars, they got to see a lot of times like the dream team, the American players like succeeding to great levels. And then like in 2004, they got to see like, whoa, they're kind of vulnerable. Like they didn't do too well. Like we can beat these guys. And I think you're right. Like that competitive nature, every athlete, everyone has it. And you especially see that with basketball. So higher competition in folks 
even greater competition because it takes more to be a higher level of competition over time. I think that leads to my prediction for the future, which is the United States will not win the next gold medal in Olympic basketball. Mm. They're pretty close last time. Who's going to beat him, Jeep? I could imagine if not all the U.S. stars wanted to play and they just brought like some tier two guys and then Giannis with just some four random Greek guys comes in. (laughs) 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 But I feel like countries like Argentina are always strong, Spain. Mm -hmm. Australia usually has a good team. Yeah. France. Mm -hmm. Where's Pascal Siakam from? Cameroon. So him and Embiid are on the same team? Yeah, but I think it's just them two. I don't know. I mean, you never know. You never know. Maybe Luke Mbamute will come back out of retirement. Uh, <laughs> Luke Mbamute is the, he's the guy of our podcast this season, yeah, apparently. We got to drop his name in every episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get first guest, Luke Mbamute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's some threats to the U.S. dominance in Olympic basketball. I think if all the dudes played, like they didn't have LeBron, Harden was hurt, Kyrie didn't play. There's a lot of dudes that didn't play in this last Olympics. I think if, you know, you really had everybody, it might be different. I do know too, like with the Olympics, a lot of times those guys practice for a lot longer than the United States team does. Cause I don't know if you remember, but I think three of the players were playing in the NBA finals the week before the Olympics. And they literally like finished the NBA finals and then flew out and played the Olympics. So that is a good point. They're probably exhausted. Um, So yeah, thanks guys for the predictions and for the conversation today, like really just indulging me in like what the future holds for all these different sports and I think he asked like 15 questions. We answered like three. So <laughs> but we we'll only revisit this. We definitely could. This podcast can only be so long. So I guess we'll see what happens in the future. But you, you keep trying to cut it short because you're the one editing it. You, <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be editing it all night. Maybe that's part of the reason, but <laughs> no, just kidding. But yeah, it'll be fun to see. And we'll definitely have to continue this conversation in the future. But I like those prediction guys and we'll see what happens in 2024 and this whole decade and everything moving forward. Thanks for listening. Goodbye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the what if podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. So you'll know when we released a new episode and check out our social media pages on Instagram and Twitter at what if pod STL again, That's at WhatIfPodSTL. Stay tuned as we continue to reimagine the world of sports. I believe Hakim, Hakim, excuse me, Hakim Olajuwon. Eddie, I have a question for you, though. Mm. I know you're a big Lakers guy. Thank you. 17? 25. I'll go 30.
not going to lie, Eddie, you start with 17 Jeet. I wish you would have said 38 because that's a Fetty Wap. That's a banger right there in the <laughs> mid-2000s. Never know. Maybe Lukumba Mute will come back out of retirement. Uh, <laughs> Lukumba Mute is the, he's the guy of our podcast this season, yeah, apparently. We got to drop his name in every episode. You got to get first guest, Lukumba Mute. <laughs> the What If Podcast, produced by Michael Kelly.